We've been working through 1 Corinthians, and so if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. I thought about putting all the uh, scripture up on screen this morning because I was going to be jumping around and kind of reading a lot of it, but because I was on vacation for a couple of days, I am a little bit behind schedule. So I encourage you to turn there with your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, then you can listen along as I read these. But I want to start by giving you guys a question this morning for, for you to consider. And if you have the notes, it's there for you as well. What, what compels you in your life? Is there anything in your life that causes you to jump out of bed in the morning? Is there anything that tugs on your heart with so much force that you simply can't handle not having it be a part of your life? Or let me even ask you, let me ask you this question. Do you even know what it means to have a compelling force at work in your life? I mean, I meet a lot of people. I'm in a customer service job. I interact with a lot of people on a daily basis. And it seems like a lot of people go through life with sort of just a blank stare. The word compelling is not a part of their diction, okay? And in my humble opinion, I think that there's really not a whole lot that compels us as humans anymore. We sort of live this life to feed this machine of capitalism so that we can be good consumers. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but it's not a very compelling life, is it? I mean, uh, the, the, the TV tells you all the time, buy this, have this, you're a consumer, and that's the, the mission of your life. And that's not a very compelling mission to live your life by. Now, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're in chapter 9 this morning. That's where I'd like you to turn. And Paul gets real autobiographical and talks about his own compelling vision for his life. And I want to read uh, verses 15 through 19, if you'll read along with me. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not, my, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Okay, Paul states that as an apostle proclaiming the good news of Jesus, he has, you know what, I just actually read the wrong verses. I'm sorry. Let me read 15 through 19. 15 through 19. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. I like that verse, though. Thank you. It is a good one. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. All right, Paul states that as an apostle proclaiming the good news of Jesus, he's got nothing to boast about. 
Okay, that's not a part of his job description, boasting. In fact, he's so compelled by the good news of Jesus that he says it's absolutely necessary for him to proclaim the gospel. Essentially, it's his duty, and he would do it even if there was no reward for him to reap. Because he's a steward, and he's been entrusted with the calling to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus, the Son of God. Let me ask you, would you do your job just because you, were, uh, you had a duty to do it? I mean, if your boss came to you and said, we're not going to pay you any longer, but we'd love for you to keep working your job, what would your response be? Forget it, right? I'm out of here, okay? Paul says he's got this duty, and even if there is no reward for him to reap, he is compelled to preach the good news of Jesus, the Son of, Christ, or it's the Son of God. But there's even more to it than just duty for Paul. He's so enamored by this message that he says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I sincerely believe that this message was so important for Paul that uh, if he were to not preach the gospel, he would die faster than if he were to not eat for a week. He's so compelled by this calling, this vision, this mission for his life to preach the good news that it is an absolute necessity to his being. And he's compelled to tell the world about a risen Christ and he'd rather literally die than refrain from proclaiming the message of grace and forgiveness. And that's almost the definition of compelling, isn't it? Almost like there's this force that draws you to it that you can't get away from. And what's more incredible about Paul is that he received no reward for doing this. Verse 14, if we were to look back, it says that God commands that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Essentially, those who are in full-time ministry should be paid for the work that they do. And they have every right to reap a material reward for the spiritual labor that they engage in. Okay? A lot of people do ministry for free, but scripture says actually those people should be paid. They have the right to, re- to reap material reward for the spiritual labor they engage in. But Paul is a pretty incredible case here. Okay? He took no financial support from the church that he started in Corinth. As he traveled throughout the Roman Empire preaching the gospel, he did not receive support from the church in, First Corinth, or from the church in Corinth. And while the other apostles were supported in their ministry by various churches throughout the empire, Paul which Paul says is good and right, that's the way that it should be, Paul himself received no wages or material support for his efforts. He did it free. He moved about constantly proclaiming Jesus to anybody who would listen to him. And here is the benefit that he reaped, ready? He was imprisoned for his efforts. He was beaten countless times. He was whipped a total of 195 times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned and actually thought dead on one occasion. After they stoned him, they dragged him outside of the city to leave him for dead because they thought he was, in fact, dead. He was shipwrecked on three different occasions. On one of those shipwrecks, he says that he actually spent 24 hours adrift at sea. He frequently went without food through cold and hungry, sleepless nights. He had anxiety for all of the people that he had given this message to. And he was often even betrayed by those that he proclaimed Christ crucified to. These people that he sacrificed so much for. And he did all of this without taking any sort of salary or stipend for his work. He preached the good news of Christ and he paid his own way by actually selling tents 
to cover his expenses, right? I mean, if you read the New Testament, you're, I, I would sort of stand back and think, Paul, isn't that sort of beneath you to like be sitting around sewing tents when you could be preaching Jesus? It's incredible. I mean, I sometimes complain that I work 70 or 80 hours a week to lead this church and provide for my family with a full-time job. I'm a pansy compared to Paul. And there are probably hundreds of thousands of other people in ministry, stories that you would hear in China and Africa, in the Middle East and other places, where people go through far greater ordeals than we could even imagine just for the sheer joy of the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. And in spite of all of his gloryless toil, hardship, and suffering for the sake of the kingdom, Paul says that he simply wants nothing more for his life than to proclaim the message of Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. Beat me up, imprison me, starve me, work me to death, but woe to me if I do not tell the world about Christ. And what Paul's trying to do here is to give a retort and a rebuttal to the Christians in Corinth who are using their freedom in Christ for their own benefit. And we talked about that a little bit last week. What does our freedom in Christ entitle us to do and with our lives? And Paul wants to give a retort here. There's a crowd in the church in Corinth who were saying that because they're free in Christ, they have every right to live their lives taking full advantage of that freedom. Because Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses and all its requirements, they're free to exercise their rights to live without confinements and restricting rules and regulations. As long as it's moral, it's okay. It's free. We're free to do that in Christ. And what Paul asserts in this chapter is that he too is free. He reminds the church in Corinthians, we didn't read this part, but the first couple of verses he says, I've seen Jesus. I've been called as an apostle. I'm free just like you are free. I have every right that you claim that you have. But what I want you to understand, Paul says to his audience, is that the message of Christian freedom is not freedom from laws and rules and restrictions. Christian freedom is freedom for the gospel. Let me read a quote to you from the scholar N.T. Wright in his commentary on 1 Corinthians. He says, Paul's point is to make the Corinthians see that Christian freedom is not freedom to do what you like, but freedom from all the things that stop you being the person God really wants you to be, which is freedom for the service of God and the gospel. This really cuts to the heart of American Christianity, doesn't it? I mean, we're free, we're free to not give financial support to the church because Jesus didn't give a specific dollar amount or percentage. So we're free to keep all of our money for ourselves. We're free as Christians to watch trashy TV and subject ourselves to the images of the idol worship of the culture that we live in. We're free to do that. We're free to fill our minds with garbage on the radio or the music or internet, whatever it is. We're free to be overly busy like everyone else in our culture, to drown ourselves in too much busyness. We're free to be isolated and independent and not get involved in a church community. We're free to do that. We're free to let other people serve us without thinking about how we can serve other people. We're free to do that. Jesus set us free through grace, right? So nothing else is required of us. It's a gift. It's free. It's grace. And Paul says, no, that is not at all the message of the gospel. 
That's not what freedom in Jesus means. Freedom in Christ means we're free from being slaves to all of these things that try to destroy our character and keep us from pursuing godliness. In Jesus, we're free to give our lives in service to God for his kingdom and for the gospel message. And I think he puts it really nicely in the verses that I read previously, verses 19 through 23. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. See, Paul is actually willingly subjecting himself to almost any set of rules and regulations. He's willing to sacrifice anything that is for his own benefit as long as it might yield fruit for the gospel. I have a, a dear, dear friend who is living in Boston and he's doing ministry to Muslims. Um, and his whole life revolves around reaching Muslims. He bought his house so that he could live in a neighborhood surrounded by Muslims. He actually goes to the mosque to be with Muslims. He makes sacrifices day in and day out to be with Muslims. And he's free in Jesus because he follows Christ. He loves Jesus. And he's free. He doesn't have to make those kinds of decisions. But understanding that his ministry will be much more effective if he makes certain decisions in his life, he's chosen to give up certain things. He does not drink alcohol because the Muslims don't drink alcohol and think it's immoral. He does not eat pork because Muslims don't eat pork and they think it's immoral. He actually considered having his tattoos laser removed because among Muslims, tattoos are disgraceful. Okay? And frankly, Jesus doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care if you eat pork. Okay? But if Muslims do, and that means they're not going to listen to my friend because of how he lives his life, then he's gladly willing to refrain from eating pork so that they'll listen to his message about Jesus. He sacrifices it. He gives it up. And Paul says that he was willing to make any personal sacrifice. He became a servant to all. And the actual Greek word here that he uses in verse 19, the literal translation that Paul uses is the word slave. He's willing to become a slave for the sake of the gospel. Willing to become a slave to everyone if that would mean that he would be able to win more people to the message of God's love and forgiveness and redemption through the work of Christ on the cross. And Paul has rights. He has all the rights of other believers, but he willingly surrenders those rights for others. Verses 22 through 23 get to the heart of this. Let me read these. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And I think there are two questions that really jump out at us from this verse, and I want to wrap up by answering these two questions for you guys this morning. The first one is, what is the gospel? When we hear that word, what does it mean? And the second question is, what are the blessings that come from the gospel? 
They answer the first question, quite literally, the gospel means the good news. That's what it means, the literal translation. And I think Paul gives a perfect description of the good news of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I wanted to stay in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, because that's what we're studying. And there's this beautiful description of the gospel. Let me read it to you. It's chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, if you want to turn there. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised I'm sorry, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Bookmark that passage in your Bible. Because if you're ever questioning what the message of Christianity is all about, that's the best summary you're going to find right there. The gospel is the truth that Jesus died for your sins. And he fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament that foretold that he would do that. And he was buried in a tomb and he rose from the dead to prove his power over death and sin and evil. And to make sure that there could be no mistake about the fact that he did arise from the dead, he physically appeared to more than 500 different people on multiple occasions. And the meaning, I think, behind all of this is found in verse 10, where he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. And Paul says that we're saved, we're redeemed, and we're rescued from the power of evil and death and sin by the grace that Jesus extended to you and me when he gave his life as a ransom on the cross for us. And through his death, through his resurrection, we have this wonderfully good news that God has saved us from sin and freed us from death and rescued us from the torment of evil. And honestly, to a dying, hurting, perishing, suffering world, that indeed is good news, isn't it? God loves you. And he himself died for you so that you might live eternally with him, free from all pain, free from all of the heartache that you've suffered from, free from your loneliness and sorrow, free from death and the bondage of the brokenness of sin. That's what Christ did. That's the gospel. Now, as if that message itself weren't enough, going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23, Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. He says that he's endured all that he's suffered for the sake of the gospel so that he might share with those who believe in all of its blessings. 
So obviously the blessings are there in the gospel itself, right? The redemption, the eternal salvation, the grace that God gives us, the forgiveness, the freedom, that is all incorporated in the gospel itself. But there's more to it even than that. And I would say the blessings received by those who believe the message of Jesus are real and tangible and present in this life now. And to show you how true this is today, I want to go back to the very first chapter of 1 Corinthians. If you've been around since we started this uh, series a couple of months ago, we started with this passage to lay the foundation that Paul wants the church in Corinth to remember. And it's this, that it's all about Jesus and the power of his presence in their lives here and now. That's the foundation for his whole letter Read this with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There are some key words and phrases that stick out that remind us about all the blessings that we receive through the gospel and and through this message of Jesus. And there are things that we receive here and now. And the first one is grace, verse 4. We live free in this idea that we're loved not because we're good enough or righteous enough, but simply because of God's amazing grace. We all know that song, right? Amazing grace. And even though I was a wretch, God poured his love on me. Verse 5, he says that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. I think this is one we miss out on sometimes. Jesus enriches our lives, truly. We're better off for knowing him. We live with peace in the knowledge that he is king and Lord of all. We trust that like a good father, he's going to take care of all of our needs, all of our needs. Verse 7, he says, so that you're not lacking in any gift. Do you understand the incredible implications of that statement? You may be sitting here this morning sincerely believing that if you had this or that object of your affection, if you had this or that amount of money in your bank account, if you had this or that job, or this or that education, or significant other, or anything else that you might imagine for your life, if you only had that thing, your life would be better. You may sincerely believe that you would be better off if you had that. But the Bible tells us that in Christ we have all things. You're not lacking in any gift. We lack no good thing from God who provides for us. And he has given us truly all that we need. I want to challenge you to maybe think on that this morning. Think about how much comfort and security there is in that reality. Although our lives may may honestly feel like they are falling to pieces, in Christ we have every good gift. And Jesus promises to provide for your every need. And in him you will lack nothing that you need, ever. Verse 8, moving on with the blessings. He says, he will sustain you to the end. 
reiterating the point I just made. God's going to carry you across that finish line. He's going to sustain you, and with him at your side, you're never going to fail. You're never going to perish. You will always stand firm against the powers of this world. He's got your back. And then verse 9, Paul just says, God is faithful. And God is so faithful, isn't he? He loves you, and his love and his faithfulness in your life are eternally enduring. There is no power or force in all of existence that can thwart the faithfulness of God in your life. Nothing. And these are his blessings for those who believe the message of the gospel. That Jesus died and rose again to take away the sins of the world. That's the message, and the blessings are manifold. Now, I'm going to try something, and, and unfortunately we're like missing half the people that we normally have. Uh, some people that I had in mind for this. But lest you still doubt me, I want to I share some names of people who I know for a fact God is answering prayers in their life. God is blessing. Or maybe even there are people who are here this morning who are an answer to my prayers or the prayers of our church. Okay, And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If I say your name, I want you to stand up and just stand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than that. Okay, Abe and Alma. Angela, Don and Tony, who aren't here, Dave and Georgie, who also aren't here, Jim and Amber, Carl Boyd, Doug Boyd, they're not here, Elizabeth and Jason LaFountain, also not here, unfortunately, and Eric, who's also not here. But that's quite a few names. I mean, if you look around at the size of our church and you consider the percentage of people that I personally know of that God is doing something incredible in their lives. That's amazing. That's a testimony to the truthfulness of his faithfulness. And I think most of these people standing right now, stay standing for another minute, if you approached them, I think they would be able to tell you exactly why I had them stand. I think they know precisely the ways in which God is proving the blessings of his gospel in their lives right now. And if they don't know how to answer it, it's because they are the answer to my prayers and their presence in our church is a blessing to me that we have been praying for for some time. And I think it goes beyond this. I'm going to take a little bit of a risk. This may fail, but I'm going to go for it. I'm going to assume that there are other people in this room who God is pouring out their blessings on. And I don't want it to be forced. If it's not sincere, please don't stand. But if you feel like God is really doing something incredible in your life right now, Maybe it's an answer to a prayer you've been praying for a long time. Maybe it's just the nearness of his presence in your life. I don't know, whatever it is. But if you feel like God is truly enriching your life through his presence in your life right now, I want to invite you to stand up as well. And if you're not standing, that's totally okay. But this is amazing. I mean, I know a couple stories, but God is doing incredible things in people's lives all around us, all around you. And he's good and he's faithful, isn't he? Look, look around the room. And if you're sitting, it doesn't mean that God isn't doing something incredible in your life. It just means he hasn't revealed it to you yet. Believe me. And he will eventually. That's amazing. You don't have to take my word for it. Look around the room. 
Okay, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. And do you see now why Paul was compelled to proclaim the message of Jesus, the Messiah? Because God rocks our world and changes our lives and transforms us. Because what God does in our lives is dynamic. It's life-altering. It's amazing through the power of Christ and the cross and the resurrection. And through the truth of Jesus, God blesses his people. He faithfully sustains them. He enriches their lives. He gives them grace. And they truly lack nothing. And so shouldn't we too be compelled by this very same gospel message? Back to my first question. What compels you? Shouldn't it to be, or shouldn't it be to see another handful of people stand and proclaim God's faithfulness and goodness in their lives, people that you know? Shouldn't we too be compelled by this message? I want to pray, and I, I, I want you guys to go ahead and bow your heads with me. And I'm going to steal a prayer from somebody else because it's such a powerful prayer. This is a prayer written by the great preacher Charles Spurgeon. I want you to just listen and pray along with me. Lord, get us up above the world. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, and mount and bear us on your wings. Far from these inferior sorrows and inferior joys, up where eternal ages roll. May we ascend in joyful contemplation, and may our spirit come back again, strong for all its service, armed for all its battles, armored for all its dangers, and made ready to live heaven on earth, until soon we shall live heaven in heaven. Great Father, be with your waiting people. Any in great trouble, please greatly help. Any that are despondent, sweetly comfort and cheer. Any that have erred and are smarting under their own sin, bring them back and heal their wounds. Any that are panting after holiness, give them the desire of their hearts. Any that are longing for usefulness, lead them in the ways of usefulness. Lord, we want to live while we live. We do pray that we may not merely groan out an existence here below, nor live as earthworms crawling back in holes and dragging now and then a withered leaf with us, but, oh, give us to live as we ought to live, with a new life that you have put in us, with the divine quickening which has lifted us as much above common men as men are lifted above the beasts that perish. Lord, visit our church We have heard your message to the churches in Ephesus. It is a message to us also. Oh, do not let any of us lose our first love. Let not our church grow cold and dead. We are not, we fear, what once we were. Lord, revive us. All our help must come from you. Give back to the church its love, its confidence, its holy daring, its consecration, its generousness, its holiness. Give back all it ever had and give it much more. Take every member and wash their feet, sweet Lord, most tenderly. And set us with clean feet in a clean road with a clean heart to guide them. And bless us as you will in a divine fashion. Now bless the sinners, Lord, convert them. O God, save people. Save this great city, this wicked city, this slumbering dead city. Lord, arouse it. Arouse it by any means that it may turn to its God. Lord, save sinners all the world over and let your precious word be fulfilled. Behold, he comes with the clouds. Why do you delay? 
Delay no longer, O Lord. And now, to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, be glory forever and ever. Amen.